Well, we are continuing in the book of Galatians, and so if you want to turn in your Bibles there, if you don't have a Bible, there should be one somewhere in the pew in front of you or the seat back in front of you. And uh, if you don't own a Bible, you can take that one with you when you go. Um, so the book of Galatians, as I said in the beginning, is about the gospel. When we're going through the book of Galatians, this is Paul clarifying the gospel for the most part and a few other things, but it's all about the gospel. And, and we talked last week about the, the transforming power of the gospel, uh, that the good news of Jesus and what he has done, when that gospel news is heard and then received, which that song talked about really well, if you've heard it and you've received it and you feel it, when you receive that news, when you appropriate it for yourself and take it on as you own, then it accomplishes transformation. Things change when the gospel arrives. And it's the power by which God is, is building his church. And it's the power by which God is setting aside a people for himself. And it's the power by which God is transforming your own life if you've heard the gospel and appropriated it for yourself. And we talked about how the gospel is only complete and true. It's only the gospel when it's complete and true. Right? Remember, we talked about how half a gospel will not half save you. Half a gospel is ineffective. Or some other gospel. Or put a better way, some other story that maybe you put your hope in. Some other worldview, some other way that you think things are, that you put your hope in those things that's a false or a counterfeit gospel. That story won't help you at all either. It has to be the whole gospel and it has to be the right gospel. And the Apostle Paul here says in Galatians that if anyone... If even an angel from heaven were to come and try to tell you something different than the gospel, then they should be accursed. Paul's saying, stay away from them. Don't read their books. Do not watch their TV shows. Don't share their Facebook posts. Don't retweet them. Because people who are sharing something different than the gospel are either careless or dangerous. But either way, their message can destroy you. And so... Paul speaks to the Galatians and says the real gospel that's literally good news, it's the best news that you can hear because it's powerful and it does transform. And and Paul continues in his first chapter of Galatians, he gives the example of this transforming power of the gospel in his own life as a testimony to the validity of it. He, He talks about himself as we continue in the next verses about how this gospel that was not from man but from God and, and how it transformed his life, how it affected him, and why they can put their faith in this gospel. And so an important part of the good news is that the gospel is powerful in changing people. Romans 1.16, the Apostle Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes. And so the gospel is good news first because it justifies us, or we could say it qualifies us to be accepted by God, just like he accepts his own son. But it's also good news because when we respond to the gospel and we receive the whole truth of who Jesus is, then it doesn't just justify us and qualify us, it transforms us and begins to change us. In Romans 5.1, Paul says, Having been justified by faith, we now have peace with God through the Lord Jesus. And then going on in Romans 6, he says, So do we continue to sin so grace can increase? And then he answers his own question in lots of different ways there. He says, No. What Jesus has done has set us free. And so we're new. He's a chain breaker. We don't have to sin anymore. So the gospel that Paul is preaching And I just want to make sure it's clear, because this is what the book of Galatians, what the whole Bible is about. It's powerful to save, and it's powerful to transform. 
And that's what Paul wants to show these people in the area of Galatia, to hold on to the true gospel, because it can take your present life and make it a former life, a life that you no longer have to live. We're reading in Galatians 1, 11 to 24. Let's pray before we read God's word. Father God, we're opening your scripture now, which is your word, written by you through men to teach us and instruct us and to stir up the Holy Spirit within us and to uh, give us uh, instruction and, and meaning and purpose and understanding of who you are and then who we are. And so I pray that it has that effect this morning, Lord, as we read it, that by your Holy Spirit that our eyes would be opened and our hearts would be softened and we would understand what it is that you would teach us. Not teach us as a people, not teach the person next to us, but teach me, teach us. pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So Galatians 1, 11 to 24. For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man, for I neither received it from man nor was I taught it, but I received it through a revelation of Jesus Christ. For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism but beyond many of my contemporaries among my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. But when God, who had set me apart even from my mother's womb and called me through his grace, was pleased to reveal his son in me so that I might preach him among the Gentiles... I did not immediately consult with flesh and blood, nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me. But I went away to Arabia and returned once more to Damascus. And then three years later, I went up to Jerusalem to become acquainted with Cephas, that's Peter, and stayed with him 15 days. But I did not see any of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. Now in what I am writing to you, I assure you before God that I am not lying. When I went into the regions of Syria and Sicilia, I was still unknown by sight to the churches of Judea, which were in Christ. But only they kept hearing, He who once persecuted us is now preaching the faith which he once tried to destroy. And they were glorifying God because of me. May the Lord bless the reading of his word. And what I'm going to do today is I'm just going to go through this kind of verse by verse, and we're going to unpack what Paul is doing here in his witness or in his testimony of the power of the gospel, and it transforms. In verse 11, he says, For I would have you know, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. He didn't receive it from a man. And so here Paul is again setting the table that this is the true gospel. It's not an invented gospel. It's not a worldview. It's not a philosophy. It's not a story that he picked up from the disciples who had, you know, tried to put some meaning around the life of Christ. And uh, so they came up with, you know, some sort of interpretation of what they thought Jesus was teaching and applied it to the Old Testament and then passed it on to other people. Paul says, no, I didn't get it from anybody. First of all, I didn't meet Christ. I didn't know Christ when he was alive. Apostle Paul didn't know who Jesus was. And I didn't get it from his disciples. The gospel that I have, I did not receive from any man. So this is not something that you have to think comes from some made-up story of people. And then in verse 13, the the sort of uh, key that we're going to work off of this morning. He says, For you have heard of my former manner of life in Judaism. And, and if you're going through your scripture here, as you were reading chapter 1, you would, might notice that there's a sudden flood of time references as Paul begins to make this testimony. 
And he says things like my former life and how I used to and I was advancing and but when God and I did not immediately and I went away and three years later. And if you, these time references just keep coming up through this paragraph. And if you mark in your Bibles, as you should do, um, and I know many of you do, you could mark my former life and I used to and all these time references in some way. And when I mark in my Bible, I mark time references with a little blue clock. I, I do a circle with little hands and I put little uh, feet on it. It's like a little blue alarm clock. And that tells me that there's a time reference going on. And if you did that here, you would see just clock after clock after clock after clock as Paul is talking about his former life and making all these time references. And the power of the gospel, and this is why it's important, is that the power of the gospel that Paul is preaching in and preaches is that it's the power to transform your current life into a former life. This is Paul's testimony. This is his witness. This is his story. And this is part of his proof of the realness of the gospel that he preaches because he says, you remember my former life, how I used to be. And so the power of the gospel that he wants to preach, an important aspect of it is we get to remember back to a time, a previous time when our life was different, but now because of the gospel, our life is transformed. And so these time references that Paul makes, and the reason that he's going back in time is because he's going to point out the power of the gospel to transform, to make our life that was a former life and no longer the life that we live. It's how I used to be. And this power, this gospel, it has the power to give you a former life too. Whatever your life was before, regardless of how you came to church today, regardless of what you have done, regardless of what you uh, have to offer or don't have to offer, the power of the gospel is that you don't have to leave today the same way that you came. That, that whatever was in the past can be in the past. It can be a former life. You don't have to live the way you've always lived. And so how did Paul used to be back when he was called Saul before he got his new name? Before Jesus gave him a new life and a new name, he was Saul. And so he talks about his former life and what it used to be. He says, how I used to persecute the church of God beyond measure and tried to destroy it. And literally, Paul writes there in the, in the Greek, dioko ho ecclesia ho theos kata Hyperbole. Now, some of you might have recognized two or three of those words, right? Ecclesia, theos, hyperbole. Literally, Paul is saying, I went beyond the limits. I persecuted the church in an extremity. We use the word hyperbole to say somebody is exaggerating. Paul says, I exaggerated. I extremely persecuted the ecclesia of theos, the church of God. I tried to destroy it. I was violently driving God's church apart to cause it to cease to be. And this was Paul's life. He was a violent destroyer of God's people, and he went beyond all expectations in his pursuit of doing it. Acts 9.1 says that he breathed threats and murder for God's people. And so by pointing towards his former life here, Paul is able to say to anyone, look, whatever it is you think you have done, the gospel is bigger than your former life. Because my life was, I was literally trying to murder the people of God. That was my former life. So, you know, did you spend a few years of your life imprisoning and killing innocent people? No? Oh, well, I did. That, that was me. Right? But the gospel made that, for Paul, a former life. 
Paul could say, I'm a former imprisoner. I'm a former murderer. So whatever you came in here with today, this Sunday, the gospel has that covered. And Paul's using his own testimony to speak to the people of Galatia and speak to us and say, look, whatever your former life was, I've topped it. Okay? I've been there or equaled it. Whatever you've come in here with, it can become a former life. The gospel has it covered. What Jesus did for you was enough. More than that, you can, you, you can't outsin the price that Jesus paid for you. If you think that what you have done is too big for God, then there's a problem with the smallness of your thinking of what the sacrifice of Jesus accomplished. If you came in here today and you think you can somehow outsin the price that Jesus paid, you don't understand the price he paid. Because Jesus paid it all, as the old hymn says, on the cross. He was willing, the Son of God, to die for the sins of the whole world. So whatever it is you think you've done, whatever your former life is, you have not outsinned the price that Jesus has paid. The gospel is bigger than whatever you've done. But Paul wants to go beyond that. He wants to dismantle any possible argument about the gospel not being enough. So he doesn't only show that any sin can be overthrown by the gospel, by what Christ accomplished on the cross, but he also, that even the most righteous religion is overshadowed by the gospel as well. So he continues in verse 14. In 13, he talks about how he was imprisoning and murdering the church. And in verse 14, he says, And I was advancing in Judaism beyond all of my contemporaries, among many of my countrymen, being more extremely zealous for my ancestral traditions. And so the ancestral traditions or traditions of my fathers is kind of Jewish code phrase for the law of Moses. And so Paul says, I was a hyper-violent persecutor of the church and I was a hyper-religious Pharisee at the same time. I was so enthusiastic about the law that I broke the law in order to protect the law. He says, I had it covered. I was persecuting the church and I was an esteemed Pharisee at the same time. To the Philippians, when he wrote to them in chapter 3, he says, Regarding the law, I was a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. As to righteousness, which is in the law, I was blameless. And so Paul means to say here, he says, I can compare myself with the best and holiest of all those people who are of Judaism. You try and show me a more faithful defender of the Mosaic law than I used to be. I dare you. I was as religious as it comes. And so, Galatians, why are you not on guard against these people that are trying to burden you with the Mosaic Law again? And we talked about that last week, right? All the false gospels and adding things to the gospel. He says, if anybody had any reason to glory in the righteousness of the law, it was me, and I didn't glory in it. In fact, I counted it as garbage compared to the gospel. And so Paul is using his own life to try to break down both of these arguments. And maybe you came in today in one of those two camps and you're banking on your religion or your religiosity, your, your churchiness to save you to such an extent that you just get disgusted with anyone who's, you know, not as good as you think you are. You know, those people who don't show up on Sunday even though it's snowing outside, you know, or those people that uh, just don't seem to live the life that they should be living as Christians. And so you're sort of on that pedestal like Paul was on about how religious you are and what a good church person you are and what a good Christian you are, and you're pretty sure that you are such a good religious person that it can save you. And if you're becoming aware of that in your own heart, 
then that's the Holy Spirit working to to pry your hands off your own self-righteousness and see yourself as broken as Paul was. What had to happen for Paul to become saved is he had to let go of all that religion stuff and realize that it was the gospel alone that was going to save him. It was what Jesus did on the cross that was going to save him. It was not the law. It was not his religion. It was not how hard he worked at being good. It was the gospel alone. And so the Holy Spirit had to loosen his grip on all of that to the point that he just counted it all as garbage. Or maybe you came in here today thinking there is no way that God can have any love for you or any compassion for you or any grace towards you because you've done really horrible things in your life. And if you only knew, Pastor Paul, you would not be saying that God loves me. And if you're thinking that, that's the Holy Spirit too, working to show you the greatness of the gospel. What, what it, the Holy Spirit did and what the gospel did in Paul's life, it can do in your life. It can take all those old identities, all those former identities like liar and thief and hater and murderer, abuser. Those things can become formal things just as they did with Paul so that you along with Paul can say, I used to. You remember the former manner of my life, but that's not my life anymore. That's the power of the gospel, and that's why Paul here unpacks his former life to say, I was as bad as the bad, and I was as good as the good. And you know what? Neither one of them could stop the gospel's work in my life to make both of those things former. And how does God make that happen? He makes it happen before you even have a say in the matter. Look what Paul says in verse 15. He says, But when God, who has set me apart even from my mother's womb. Okay, (laughs) so that the cat's out of the bag here, right? Paul Paul just says, you got to understand what he's saying. He says, I was not even born yet, and God had already set me apart and chosen me. Paul says, God has ordained, while I was still in my mother's womb, where I could neither think or perform any good thing. And after I was born, God supported me, heaping mercy upon mercy upon my life. He freely forgave my sins and he poured out his grace and he made me a preacher of his gospel. Like Paul's mind is blown here. He can't believe that God had set him apart even before he was born. He was a violent and deplorable human being. But this text says that God sees through all of that and has a plan for Paul's life anyway. It's incredible. When we think about our lives and what God has allowed us to do and to rebel against, especially as maybe we've been Christians for a little while, right? But we didn't become Christians until a little bit later in life. And and you remember, and I can even just say those teenage years, right, for all of us, or maybe those years when we were 20, 25 or 30 or 35 or whatever it was. And you think back, you're like Paul, and you're thinking back to that former life, and you just think what God allowed us to do in rebellion against him in our life. And yet he still loved us to draw us into him, to present us with the gospel. I mean, we would shake our fists at God. We would curse God. We would disobey God in a hundred different ways, even to persecute his own people and mock Christians and make fun of them and how stupid it was that they were going to church. All the while, through our life, while that is going on and we're rebelling against God, just like Paul, God is patiently waiting since before we were born, God is waiting for the day that he would call us and summon us by his gospel into his family, call us by his grace. And just as an aside, that's a good reason for us to think carefully about how we react towards our enemies, right? 
Jesus says, love our enemies. You imagine the church, how the people of God felt about Paul all those years while he was imprisoning and murdering them. How easy it would have been for the church to hate him or to wonder why God didn't, you know, strike him with lightning or just eliminate such a dangerous threat to the church. And then suddenly, Paul is all of a sudden the greatest missionary of the gospel the church has ever seen. And so we have to be careful sometimes when we're thinking about our own enemies and we're thinking, you know, maybe God should just take them out. And we need to be praying for our enemies and loving them because we don't know when the grace of God is going to come into their life and who they might become. And so we got to think about that. But that's the story of Paul's life. Here he is, shaking his fist at God, rebelling against God, and God had a plan for him, and God patiently waiting through all of Paul's life until that time when he would call him by the gospel to transform that life and say, that's a former life. And it's the exact same thing with us. All this time in our life, the stuff we did, the addictions we had, the abuse we gave out to people, the, the blame we cast, the unforgiveness that was in our heart, the All those years, God is patiently waiting until by his grace he calls us by his gospel into his family. God is more powerful than our sin. And look, Paul says it, he says, and he called me through his grace. Does God call us on account of our holy life? Does God look around and say, well, there's some really, you know, churchy people. Like there's a couple of guys down there and a woman, they look like they're really religious. I'm going to call them because they're such religious people. He doesn't call us because of our religious life. He doesn't call us because of our prayers or our fasting or our offerings. Never. Well, if he doesn't call us based on our goodness, then I'm assuming that he doesn't call us based on our badness, right? He doesn't look down and say, there's some really horrible people. Those are the ones I want, right? It's not our rebellion or our anger or our stubbornness or our sinfulness that is the cause or that motivates God to call us. And so what is God's motivation for calling Anyone, if it's not our own goodness and it's not our sin and rebellion that initiates God's call on our life, then what prompts God to call us? It's his grace alone. It's God's free will action, his grace, his gift alone. He calls us. He continues, he says, God was pleased, was pleased to reveal his son in me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And we don't want to skip by that too fast. It says God was pleased to reveal Jesus to Paul. And this is amazing to me on one hand and and like really obvious to me on another hand. God gets pleasure out of showing his son and saving people from hell. Well, that's really obvious. Of course God gets pleasure from that. But we rarely think of it that way in our own life. At least I miss it quite often. And maybe you think about it all the time, but I'm just weird. But I usually think that God is somehow begrudgingly saving me. Right? That God is kind of like up there, Paul, yuck. I suppose I have to save him. You know, or I I suppose I will. I guess I'll save him. It seems to me like I'm not worthy of God's pleasure in saving me, that if God was saving me at all, he's only doing it reluctantly. But Paul says here, no, God was pleased to reveal his son to him. God wants to show off his son. That God wants to accomplish gospel transforming power in your life and show you what his son can do for you. Luke 12:32 says, "Fear not, little flock, for it is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom." God with pleasure showed Jesus to Paul, saved Paul and gave him a purpose to preach. And maybe even got some pleasure out of the fact that he sent Paul to the Gentiles. It's actually a pretty good joke, right? 
Because here's Paul, a Pharisee, who had the book of the law completely memorized. He was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He knew Judaism inside and out. He was well-respected among all the Jewish people. And God puts his hand on him and calls him and says, Oh yeah, Paul, i got a job for you. You're going to go and spread the gospel to the Gentiles. All those people that you thought were less than dirt and that really hate you, those are the people I'm calling you to. So I imagine God got some pleasure out of that too. (laughs) That's a good laugh, right? But it's joyful laughter. Because Paul's going to be shown how strong God would work in Paul's weakness, and Paul's going to be laughing along with God in his ministry too, in the work that he could do. And so Paul thinks, oh yeah, Judaism, you know, I've got the Jews covered. And God says, no, you're going to go to the Gentiles. And I'm going to show you how strong I am in your weakness, not how strong you are in your strength. But the message here is that it's God's pleasure to reveal his son to you. It's God's pleasure to rescue you, not because of your goodness and in spite of your sinfulness. God was pleased to send his son to die for you so that your life would no longer be a present life, but a former life. And the new life that God gives you is lived in the power of his Holy Spirit. Second Corinthians 5, Paul writes, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, and the old has passed away. And behold, the new has come. And all this is from God who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. God is pleased to save and give you a new purpose, give you a new ministry. That's exactly the way he did it with the Apostle Paul. It's the way he wants to do it with you. And Paul goes on in verses 17 to 22 to describe the fact that he didn't get taught any under any disciples and he didn't learn things from other teachers. And uh, the gospel that he shares is uh, the new life that he came to has all come directly from God. And so the Galatians should listen because this is Paul speaking and he has the witness and the testimony of his own life to the power of the gospel. And so they need to put their hope in something true, not in something diluted or counterfeited. And Paul sums up the evidence of his former life compared to his new life this way. You skip down to verse 23. He says, they didn't know me, but they were only hearing. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. What a better example of a transformed life than the Apostle Paul himself, and he knows it, and so he uses his own testimony to paint the picture. It doesn't matter how sinful and how bad you think your life is, it can become a formal life. It doesn't matter how religious and how righteous and how justified you think you are, that can become a former life too. There's one thing that gives you a new life, and it's the power of the gospel. And it was his friend Luke who wrote a couple of books of the New Testament as well, who traveled on many journeys with Paul. And he starts off writing his book in Luke 1. He says, This is a written account of what we have seen with our eyes and heard the words with our ears. Luke says, These are the things that we saw and that we heard in this Apostle Paul. I traveled with this guy. I saw him day and night. I treated his wounds. I saw what he did. I saw the transformation, and Luke can testify to this witness of Paul's. And so there was an old Paul, but now there's a new Paul. And he had a former life, and he now has a miraculous new life. And that is the promise that the gospel holds out to us. That's the promise of the gospel that Paul wants to get across to the Galatians. Look, you remember the former life that I had. You remember the former manner of my life. But it was a former life. It's not my life now. And so all of us here who are believers, at some level, we know this. But sometimes, like the Galatians, we can start to forget. Even as Christians, 
We can start to forget that our old life really is a former life, and that former life starts to creep back up and get a little too close to the new life, right? And we start to doubt the power of the gospel, or we start to think that we have to hope in something else other than the gospel. And so we start hoping in our own determination to overcome our flesh, or we start hoping in our own churchiness or religiosity, or we start to doubt that this problem or this sin in our life can ever be overcome by the gospel because that former life, even though we know that it's behind us and that we are to look forward, that former life seems too close for comfort and it seems to catch up with us. And Paul is saying here, it's former. God has put it away. He's put it to death. That old life, God does not want you to live anymore. Christian, don't live the old life. It's former. And some of us here perhaps don't have that new life yet. But you know exactly what I mean when I talk about the ugly life that the Apostle Paul lived prior to becoming the Apostle Paul. Because you're thinking your life isn't too much different. Maybe you didn't kill somebody. Maybe you did. I don't know. You know, maybe you weren't going around throwing people in jail. But you think, I've done some ugly stuff and I've been rebellious against God my whole life. I've turned my back on him, I've mocked him, I've mocked his people, I've done stuff to people in marriages, I've done stuff that just you don't even want to know. And you think, there's no way God can save me. There's no way God can make that a former life. It has its hooks into me too deep. Whether it's by addiction or whether it's in unhealthy relationships or whatever it is, that old former life, that life for some of you maybe that you're living right now, it has its hooks in you too deep and you think there's no way this can become a former life for me. And I'm telling you, you might soon be able to say, hey, I was abused when I was a child and and then I got addicted to pornography and, and that pornography addiction almost cost me my marriage, but then Christ and his gospel intervened and now that's my former life and I have a whole new life in Christ. Paul's here to say that's possible for you. It doesn't matter what it is. What you think has its hooks in you, the gospel can set you free. It doesn't matter what it is. You're in prison, you need a savior. (laughs) What were we just singing? Right? He's a chain breaker. However deep you think the hooks of your former life are in you, the gospel is transforming power. Or perhaps your story would be, look, my former life is that, you know, I was, I grew up in the church and, and I went to youth group every night, every week and, and I kept going to church all through, uh, university and I was an usher and then I became a trustee and a deacon and, and, uh, you know, I was a Sunday school teacher and a church going man, but you know what? I never really knew Jesus. I, I, I never actually, never actually gave my life over to him. That was just a fake life. That was just a life of appearances that I lived. The power of the gospel is that can become a former life and you can really know Jesus. And he can really transform your life and break those chains. Or maybe your former life needs to be, I never really went to church, I never really understood it. Spent decades avoiding church. And I, at the same time, never really meant anyone any harm. I never really did any bad things. But I set my heart and my hopes on things that have really done nothing but let me down. First I hoped in my marriage and that failed. Then I hoped in my kids and they don't really like me anymore. You know, and then I put my hope in my career or in money, but then I realized as I got older that that wasn't going to satisfy me either. That's not really going to help. Then I put my hope in my health and that's gone. And I really realize now that I've been pretty much just worshiping myself my whole life. I've just been pursuing what I want for me. 
And it hasn't taken away any of the guilt or the emptiness. Maybe that's what needs to be your former life. That you need this new life with God. That's the power of the gospel. It doesn't matter where you come from on that spectrum. The gospel can make your old life a former life and give you a new life in God. It's the power of what Jesus has done. Jesus came to give you a new life and make everything else former. So we Christians, we, we celebrate the fact that we've been saved by faith and by grace, and, and, and we celebrate that quite often by singing. And, and the music team is going to come up here, and, and they're going to sing again. We're going to do that now. But at the end of that singing, there may be some people here. There may be some men or women here. Maybe you're here for the first time in your life, or maybe for the first time in your life you're thinking, the Lord has done something in my heart today. That the Holy Spirit has shown me where I relate to Paul in one of these two lives or maybe somewhere in the middle. And I want, as a today, I want to press in into obedience with Jesus Christ and, and I want to follow him and serve him and walk in his acceptance and love. And if that's the case for you today, then I pray that you would make that decision. I want to encourage you to do that. People will be here at the front after we sing to pray with you or people are available anytime through the week. You can come talk to me anytime about this and you can just say, you know what, Paul? I want that former life to be former and I want a new life in Jesus Christ. That's the message of the Apostle Paul to the Galatians. He says, look, half a gospel doesn't half save you. A counterfeit gospel is worthless. I have a gospel from God that is the only gospel that has the power to transform your life so that you can now talk about a former life and a present life in Christ. And Paul has done everything as bad and worse as you've done. And Paul has done everything as religiously perfect and better than you have done. And he realized none of those things could save him. He needed a new life in Christ Jesus. He needed the gospel. We all do. Let's pray. Father God, this morning... It's sobering to think about our former lives. It's sobering to think about all those years when we just shook our fist at you and rebelled against you or maybe even worse, just ignored you and just focused on ourselves. But Lord, by your grace, you made that for many of us here a former life and we now have a new life in you and that life is so different and so much better. And Lord, we want that for all of our friends and family that are here. We want that for everybody who hears the good news of Jesus Christ and what he's done. That the power of the gospel is the power to transform. To take an old life and make it new. To take the things that we used to do and make them the past. And take old identities and make them no longer us. But to give us a new identity in you. And Father God, frankly, that takes a miracle. It takes the miracle of your Holy Spirit working in our hearts to accomplish. And so we preach your word, we present the gospel, we hold out the hope, but we trust in your Holy Spirit to transform people's hearts. And so I pray for that miracle, for the people here today that are listening, for people that might be listening on the podcast later on, whoever, that they can have hope in this gospel, that whatever their former life was, it can be former. And a new life can be had in you. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.